I um, last night had to fill a little time during this time. We were in hot pursuit of a pulpit, and I got a chance to tell the story, and we're a little bit ahead of time, so I'm going to tell you today. But I, I had lunch with a Catholic priest friend of mine, retired, and, and he told me about, about a little Easter story, and the story had to do with, and Easter wasn't long ago, so it does fit, and ties in with the sermon somehow, but anyways... Um, <laughs> He, uh, he told me that the story he told was about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was asked by Mary Magdala to, to, to give the tomb cut into stone to Jesus to have. And so Nicodemus said, I, I better talk to my wife, a smart guy, the mother of my children. We celebrate moms in heaven and moms here today. He went to her and said, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we should give the tomb to Jesus. And uh, she said, but but we spent quite a bit of time, quite a bit of money, and I, I'm not sure that's a good idea. And he said, dear, it's okay. It's only for two nights. <laughs> I had to explain that to a few people last night. I, um, I just want you to hanker down, and I want you to stay with me during the sermon, because I'm going to throw a lot of scripture and a lot of thinking at you. And um, this... This Heidelberg Catechism is dense, and, and especially the, the five questions for today, they're, they're super dense. And, and I, I just heard Peter's thoughts over here. He said it would make sense that dense material would be done by a dense guy. But, but anyways, there's a lot here, and I want you to stay with me, and I want you to stay alert. I want you to hang in there to the end. And if I do see you nodding off, I will call you out. So, so just... Put a little fear of God in you for that. Now, we continue this bold walk in this series on, on the Heidelberg Catechism, putting our belief into words. And that's what happened 450 years ago. A community got together, and, and they were trying to articulate the foundations of their faith. And, and what I love about it is every answer to every question is found in Scripture. It's based in God's Word. Now, Carrie, two weeks ago on Commitment Class Sunday and weekend, she talked about that first question and the answer. What really matters? What really matters is that we belong to God, not ourselves. That that we have this faithful God and we belong to him. We belong to Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior, assuring of us, assuring us of eternal life, that we are to live for him at the center of our lives. Ron, our new transition pastor, really excited about Ron. He's done an amazing job so far of connecting and learning names, and, and, and he gets ministry. He knows it's about showing up, and it's about caring, and I can't wait for you to get to know him. But last week, he talked about the problem of sin. He talked about our human condition, the reality of our sin. And and sin is not just doing something wrong, but it's surrendering to a power that pulls us from God. And he talked about the fact that we can't stop our sin on our own. We can't just try harder. We can't find freedom and break away from the power of sin on our own. And when we try, we do nothing but deepen the hole of sin around us. 
Now, our world and our culture says, hey, it's okay. You can, you can work it out. You can figure it out. I mean, you can just, you know, spend a little more money. Try a little harder. Try another relationship. It's okay. You can overcome the compulsion or your addiction on your own. So just try a little harder. But the effects of our sin make us miserable. They separate us from the joy and the comfort of being in communion with God. Communion with God is taken right out of the Heidelberg Catechism. That we were created to be in communion with God. That we were created to be in a loving relationship with the one who created us. But our sin, our sin creates an obstacle, a barrier, a chasm. So what's the answer to our sin? Ron left us with that question. What's the answer to our sin? What's the answer to what's wrong? Who can save us? Now I want you to know I found the answer this week as I was Friday heading into the Masonic home to visit Eleanor Paulson who, who is sick and, and struggling. And, and I, I, I found it right there in the parking lot. There it was, the answer. Jesus is the answer. It was a bumper sticker on a car, a car right in front of me. See, Jesus is the answer. You know that. You weren't in suspense. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Because above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. See, Jesus is the answer for us. You know, normally when someone dies, their impact on the world gradually fades over time. About seven years ago, we know that Steve Jobs died, and, and a movie followed soon afterwards about his life. And, and someone wrote about 20 years ago, our world had Bob Hope and Johnny Cash and Steve Jobs in the same world. But now we have no job, no cash, and no hope. <laughs> I had to explain that to somebody in the first service. I'm here to tell you, and you know this, that we have hope. We have great hope. We can find the freedom from our sin and the weight that that burden us down with. See, God's liberation plan is Christ. Christ alone, our cornerstone. And we confess and acknowledge our depravity, our need for a Savior, then a river of grace flows into our souls. Now there's four questions today that we're not going to ask, but we're going to answer. Because it would take the rest of the time just to ask the questions. They're so rich and so much there. These are the questions of 15 through 19. And as I studied these questions this, this week, I, I, I just couldn't get over how much thought and theological truth is in the answer to these questions. And I began to wonder if I wasn't more qualified to talk about the sermon last week on sin because I'm much more proficient at understanding my own sin. But today we talk about the solution. So let me skim the surface of these, these questions by sharing with you an essential tenet of our denomination, 
of our eco-denomination. It's dense, but it talks about the incarnation. And I want you to follow with me as I read it. It'll be on the screens. This is the second great mystery of the Christian faith, affirmed by all Christians everywhere, that Christ is both truly God and truly human. As to his divinity, he is the Son, the second person of the Trinity, being of one substance with the Father. And as to his humanity, he is like us in every way but sin, of one substance with us, like us in having both a human soul and a human body. As to his divinity, he is eternally begotten of the Father. As to his humanity, he is born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. As to his divinity, his glory fills heaven and earth. And as to his humanity, his glory is shown in the, suffer- in the form of suffering, the suffering servant. And it's shown most clearly when he is lifted up on the cross in our place. The incarnation of God in Jesus. Jesus, part of the Trinity, completely divine, completely human. We've got to get our minds around that this morning because it's really an important foundational theological truth for us. So the first idea is this. The answer to our sin is our Redeemer, and we know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy. For there is one God, And one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one that can mediate for us. Christ Jesus, fully man, fully God. See, we need a righteous man to save fallen humanity and a divine man to bear the weight of our sin. We need Jesus who is truly human and truly without sin who is also truly God. We need a bridge that goes far enough in both directions, spanning the gulf between a holy God and a rebellious people. It's a bridge that both God and human God, Jesus, the bridge goes in two directions. It's two different natures, but it's one bridge. It's one person in Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, the mouthpiece of God, said this before Jesus was born. He said, for to us a child is born, a human child. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Human child, mighty God, two natures united, inseparable. The second point I want us to to look at this morning is that Jesus is a redeemer who is completely human but without sin. Looking at Hebrews 
For this reason, he had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that we might become a merciful, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Now, how can we have a sinful redeemer atone for our sins? We could only have a sinless redeemer, that he would become the sacrifice for our sins. We know that Jesus was a human being. He was a Jew in Galilee with a name and a family. He was a sinless friend of sinners. He he was a person who was in a way just like everyone else. And yet in another way, he was someone very different than anyone else who would ever come into this world before. He was restricted by time and space. He sweated, he hungered, he wept, he endured pain, he suffered, even the brutality of death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Scripture tells us that he was sorrowful, that he was troubled deeply, that he was distressed, saying, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, sorrow to the point of death. He said to his disciples, Stay awake, pray for me, be with me here in the garden. They fell asleep. A feeling of deep loneliness came over Jesus. I think a deeper loneliness than he had ever felt before because he wondered too if his father had turned away. Then he prayed, my, he prayed, your will be done. See, the cross was the very reason that Jesus had to come to earth. Here at the cross is the man who loves his enemies, a man who is righteous and greater than the Pharisees, one who became poor but was rich, one who gives his robe to those who took his cloak, one who prays for those who use him even on a cross. See, the cross isn't a detour or a hurdle. It isn't a detour or hurdle on the way to the kingdom, nor is it even the way to the kingdom. See, the cross, it's the kingdom come down for us. My third point is this. Our Redeemer is completely divine. Paul says in Philippians, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, And he gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Completely divine. And because of his divine nature and his obedience and his suffering, he would be able to bear our sin our sin to a righteous God, even God's anger against our sin, 
that he would overcome death, Jesus would, through the resurrection. So not only do we have a victory over our sin, we have a victory over death. See, and Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. And he's even the justice and the mercy of God come together. See, Jesus not only died perfect for the imperfect, the sinless for the sinful, but he lived the life of perfect obedience required for our salvation. This is what John the baptizer said. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Other claims of his divinity that Jesus made. Jesus said, I am the way, and he points to himself. Jesus said, I forgive your sins to the lame man and the adulterous woman. He said, when challenged, I and the Father are one. As late as the last night, with the disciples in the garden. They had heard all of his claims. They had witnessed all of his miracles. And one of them asked, Teacher, still confused, show us the Father. They didn't quite comprehend. But Jesus was never clearer in his response. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In a famous passage in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something even worse. Lewis knew. He believed that Jesus never waffled in his identity, but he made it clear. He made it clear that ultimately it's our choice. And even the Roman soldier, after Jesus had died, sitting, standing at the foot of the cross, said, This man was surely the Son of God. So, what's the big deal? Why does that matter? See, it's our choice to choose. Because Jesus reveals a God who comes in search for us. He's a God who makes room for our freedom even when it costs him his son. Jesus revealed a God who is in love with us. A God who has a rescue plan for us. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Greater love has no one than to lay down their life for their friends. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Ruth and Judy and Bill, he so loved you. He so loved us that he sent his one and only begotten son so that we would experience the rescue plan, that we would be redeemed. 
He loved us that much. Friends, it's our choice. It's our choice. The one who made you loves you more than you could ever know or imagine. A few weeks ago, I preached, and it was the first service, and I happened to notice that our little grandson, Odin, was sitting up here about 18 months. Now, i got to be honest with you, it's our first grandson, and, and Jody and I are way over the top on this deal. Can't wait to have about 20 more. But it was the coolest thing, because Odin didn't know I was here. And I was standing at the back of the aisle in my robe, and he was sitting here, and when the children's sermon was done, he walked up the aisle, and he saw me in the middle of the aisle. And he went, Papa, Papa. And then he came running toward me with his arms up, and he jumped in my arms. I cried for the next 10 minutes. I was a basket case. And then I realized, I realized that's what God, that's what God must feel and how God must feel. When we turn around from our sin, when we accept that grace poured into our heart from a Redeemer, and we run toward him and say, Papa, Papa. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we can't even begin to fully imagine what you have done for us. Gracious God, you have atoned and sacrificed your son for our sins, who was fully human in every way like us, and yet completely divine. Thank you for the rescue plan for us. And thank you that next week we'll come to understand how we can receive, how we can be saved. I am so grateful. Grateful that you redeemed us in your humanness and divinity. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. Thank you, God, for your grace and mercy and forgiveness for you so loved the world that you gave us your one and only begotten son so that whoever believed in you would not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Amen.